0: When my mother was in her 80s, she moved to an assisted living community. Good Shepherd. Man was that aptly named. It was subsidized by a Christian denomination. It was safe, warm, and loving. A real community. My mother had a cozy little one-bedroom apartment at the end of the East Wing. But I think she spent the bulk of her time visiting her neighbors and hanging out in the community room. My sister lived just up the street and would spend every morning with my mom. Right around Christmas in 2006, my sister noticed there was something different about mom. As they were having coffee, she asked, Mom, what's going on? Mom had a sense she wasn't going to be in that safe, cozy little apartment at Good Shepherd much longer. What's up, mom? Do you think you're going to go home to be with Jesus soon? My mom's eyes sparkled. She said, yes, I think so. My sister asked, by Christmas? She said, no. Mom, how about by your birthday? February 21st, mom again paused and said, I don't think so. How about by Easter? Mom said, I think I'm going to be with Jesus by Easter. She didn't have any real health problems. She just had a sense. She put up a little sign in the window by her door that faced the common hallway. It said simply this, meet me at home. On March 13th, I was at a parent-teacher conference for two of her grandkids. That's when I got the call. Mom had had a massive stroke there in her cozy little one-bedroom apartment. My six siblings and I were soon at her bedside. The neurologist said she'll never be able to swallow again. Mom had made her wishes known, and it would only be a matter of days before she was with Jesus. The seven of us, her children, stood watch. My last hour with Mama was two days before she died. She was very much present. I hopped up onto her bed next to her, and we had an amazing conversation. I'd start a Bible verse, and she'd finish it. I'd say goofy things that always made her laugh, and she laughed. I just soaked in that last hour with Mama. She faded peacefully and took her last breath on March 26th. Easter was April 8th that year. In this episode, we look at Jesus' last hour with his beloved disciples, He's already washed their feet, celebrated the first communion with them, and told them about the new covenant and the amazing gift, the helper, the Holy Spirit that would be coming. And in some ways, Jesus posted a meet-me-at-home sign in the window like my mama. John records this for us in chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Man, that sounds like good shepherd. I go to prepare a place for you, and when I have, I will return and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. If you've been told you get a mansion of your own in heaven, forget it. Jesus is preparing a good shepherd-like community for you. It's a room in his father's group home. A room, I'm guessing, without a door. A room that's perfectly designed for you. But I'm thinking we'll spend most of our time in the halls or the community room. Jesus tells his disciples, you know the way. It's at this point Thomas speaks up. Rabbi Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus then gives us the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This sounds similar to his, I am the door of the sheep. We looked at that in episode 104, John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus used the imagery of a sheepfold, not a mini-roomed mansion. He said to his disciples, I'm the only door to that sheepfold. My sheep hear my voice and enter that fold. In that fold, I care for them. I'll nourish them and protect them, even at the cost of my life. We learn in that episode, once the sheep were safe, the shepherd would lie across the door now in the upper room in his last hour jesus says he's the road to his father's many-roomed mansion he's the only road to life and the directions he gives are truth now we should back up a few moments prior to jesus talking about his father's many-roomed mansion between jesus describing the new covenant in his shed blood and this conversation about his father's many-roomed mansion something happens with the disciples they broke out into an argument over who would be the greatest among them. I can't help but wonder, in that room with my mother during her last day's hospice, how she would have felt listening to us siblings argue about which of us was the most important or greatest of her kids. That had to wound Rabbi Jesus at the deepest level. And one more thing happens. Jesus sets up his, my father's, mini-room mansion talk by saying this, I'm about to go away and you can't follow me, but I will come and get you. At this, Simon Peter speaks up, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Jesus replies to him, Peter, right now, Satan is sifting you like wheat, and I'm praying for you. But here's the deal, Pete, you're going to fail, but you'll come around. Peter doubles down, Lord, I'm willing to go to prison and to death for you. No, Pete, you won't even make it till morning before you deny me. Since I'm on the topic of heartache, let's do one more. Right after Jesus gives his, I am the way, the truth, and the life statement to Thomas and the disciples, Philip blurts something out. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He's saying, we want to know who God is and what he looks like. You gotta wonder if Jesus played back the tape in his head of the previous three years with these disciples. What more could he do to reveal God to these men? I can almost hear his voice break up as he says, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you even say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you believe my words were the words of the Father? Don't you believe my works were from the Father and revealed the Father to you? With that as a backdrop, how do you think Jesus is going to spend the last hour he has with all of his disciples before he dies? I'm guessing the answer would be pretty much the same thing you would do if you had your loved ones around you with an hour to live. I know what I'd do if I had my wife and kids around me With my hour ticking down, I'd let them know how much I love them. That's exactly what Jesus does. Guys, you're my friends. There's no greater love than this, that I lay down my life for a friend, and you're my friends. Not only that, my Father loves you. Jesus definitely wants them to know just how very much they're loved. With an hour to live, I'd challenge them to look out for each other, to stay together as a family, In Jesus' last hour, Jesus repeatedly urges them to be united, to be one, even as He and the Father are one. I'd want to let my family know life is not going to be easy. It's a broken world, and we're broken ourselves. So I'd want them to have grit. With grit, they could handle anything life throws at them. And I'd want them to know they had the ability to be gritty, and if they did, good things were waiting for them at the end. And that's what Jesus says to his disciples. Work on your grit. When you witness what they're about to do to me, the Son of Man, be assured they'll do it to you, his apprentices. Jesus lays out just how gritty they'll need to be. They'll drag you before rulers and into synagogues. They'll even take your life. And through it all, they'll believe they're doing God a favor. But be of good cheer. I'm greater than anything they can throw at you. I'll be with you all the way, and you will experience joy I can't quite describe through the process. I'd also urge my family, do the right thing, to live fairly, to love mercy, and to walk in humility. Those are the right things, the godly things. Make those god things the rudder of your life. In a word, be ruthlessly obedient to god things. There in Jesus' last hour, He makes a strong plea to his disciples to do the right thing, to keep his commandments. The one who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. And tying into his vine imagery, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus pleads with his disciples to demonstrate love for he and the Father and to grow in that love by doing the right thing, God's things, the words the Son of God had given them to do. And before my family could leave the room, I'd pray for them. The Gospel writer John records an entire chapter of the prayer of Jesus over these beloved men. I'm coming back to that. Jesus has one last I am statement to make before he dies. You get the idea he saved this one for last on purpose. He says this, My father is the gardener, I am the vine, and you are the branches. My father is very diligent to care for the branches that they might bear much fruit. A branch can only bear fruit if it's nourished and attached to the vine. A branch attached to the vine and being nourished by it bears much fruit, but a branch disconnected from the vine can do nothing at all. It withers and is only good for kindling. If you, the branches, abide in me and my words abide in you, you won't believe just how great the fruit can be. A great harvest of fruit demonstrates that you're my apprentices and it brings great glory to the Father. This imagery of we, the branches, being intimately attached to Jesus the vine, along with Jesus' imagery of joining him in the yoke that we talked about in episode 89, our two word pictures, I hope, burrow into the fur of your soul. With the imagery of the yoke, Jesus invited us to a side-by-side intimate apprenticeship with him in a custom-made yoke. He would provide the direction and most of the power. We would follow his direction and do our part. And over time, we would learn from him. We would become more like him. And now with Jesus' imagery of the vine, Jesus is calling us to daily, moment by moment, stay intimately connected with him and draw our very vitality from him, producing fruit, transform character, and impacting others, both of which deeply glorify the Father. Thanks to the Gospel writer John, we're able to listen in on Jesus' prayer over his men. He begins by asking God that everything that will happen in the hours ahead will bring glory to God. Jesus then prays for the protection of his disciples, then that God may produce great fruit in their lives. He prays that they will understand just how deeply they're loved by God the Father and Jesus the Son. Jesus prays several times that they might be one, unified, even perfected in their unity, and that that unity would be a proof the world could not ignore. And in case you're listening to this and drifting a little, Jesus says one more thing in this last hour prayer. It's in John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prays this, I do not ask in behalf of these men alone, but for those also who believe in me through their testimony. If you're listening to this and are a follower of Jesus, that would be you. Jesus prayed all these things for you. John chapters 13 through 17 are often labeled the upper room discourse, a fancy word for Jesus' talk the last night in the upper room. We get a clue in John 14, 31 that part of this talk may have been done on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Before the I am the vine metaphor, Jesus tells his disciples, Arise, let's go from here. So it's possible part of this chat was in the upper room and part of this chat was on the way to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Who knows, knowing Rabbi Jesus, the master teacher, he may have stopped at a grapevine somewhere to give that I'm the vine, you are the branches talk. It's likely he'll be arrested by a mob within an hour and convicted by the religious rulers by sunrise. We're going to take a look at what happened that next hour in the Garden of Gethsemane and throughout that night shackled in the homes of Annas and Caiaphas in our next word picture.